0: Well, this morning, I want to give you a, an introduction to executional excellence, which is the fourth element of the Beyond Babel model. The Beyond Babel model is a model for building organizations following biblical principles. It starts with a Christian worldview, being very clear on a Christian worldview. And uh, secondly, it goes into uh, building with equally yoked leadership teams. Uh, thirdly, uh, you want to learn to build strategically which is how god builds and the fourth element is you have to execute your plan now you have to execute with excellence so those are the uh, first four steps of the model the last step is customer validation where the customer validates that you've indeed delivered excellent value and you have discerned the will of god so that's the model and this is this part of it here is probably uh, the most practical of what we've done so far, if you turn, if you want to use practice as a measuring stick, although I think it's all extremely practical, most people would regard this as the most practical. Now, to understand the backdrop of all this, you need to be clear that we are in this war between two cities, as Augustine put it. The war between the city of man and the city of God, and there's two very different views, two very different worldviews at play here. Uh, The city of man is all about death, whereas the city of God is about life. The city of man is about pride. The city of God is about humility. See, a man is about common grace. That's the only way they have any ability to do anything is God's common grace. The city of God is about common grace and special grace, the grace of Christ to live well in God's universe. The city of man is about worldly wisdom and the city of God is about God's wisdom which comes through metaphysical awareness. The empowerment in the city of man is human potency. The empowerment in the city of God is divine potency. The metric for the city of man is all about man and how man measures things and how man defines things. Whereas in the city of God, it's all about how God measures and defines things. The motive is about man's will in the city of man. In the city of God, it's about God's will. And success to the city of man is all about measuring things temporally. That is success as we see them in the natural. Whereas success in the city of God has got not only a temporal component, but it's got more importantly an eternal component. So that's a very quick synopsis of the differences between these two ways of building. Obviously, I'm promoting the city of of God and building with a Beyond Babel model. This is the model that I've developed over the years that helps me think through how to build biblically. And in our first teaching here on executional excellence today, we're going to focus in on the right handbook. The right handbook is now how do we view the scripture in light of whatever it is that we are called to do, particularly in the workplace. The focus is going to be on the workplace, but it's not limited to the workplace. It's just the workplace is arguably the hardest place to see the reality of the Bible as the truly the right handbook. For most of us, uh, we're used to looking at secular books as the handbook for business or for organizational behavior. And this includes even, I find this even of, of churches, which are churches are simply organizations, just like a business is an organization, where you have two or more people who have come together to accomplish a mission. That's what an organization is. And I find many, many church leaders, they will reference something like, Uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or maybe Good to Great or maybe Discovering the Soul of Service, some secular book and say this is their reference point. This is the book that they look at. This is where they go to in terms of, you know, finding help and guidance when they run into problems with their organization. Well, this is a very, very low level view of reality. And I want to say, arguably, it's a very incorrect view of reality because God has given us a very profound handbook that is far better than any secular book you can find. It's far better than all the secular books together, and that is the Word of God. And an example of 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 this reality can be seen in the story of Marion Wade. Marion Wade had a near-death experience in 1945. He was in the hospital blind initially, and he was in the hospital for a year, and most of that time he couldn't see, and, he, and for a while he didn't know if he was even going to live. Mary and Wade owned a small privately held business. They did um, pest control, rug cleaning, um, you know, carpet cleaning, those kinds of things. Uh, be, they had been in business about 15 years. There may be five or six employees. It was a home-based business. Marion Wade was a very committed Christian. He had come to Christ in 1930 and very quickly became one of the leaders in his local church. His pastor saw him as the model Christian. But when Marion Wade had this industrial accident and he's laying in the hospital bed, I can't see, and he's focusing on the Lord, thinking about what's going on here, what's gonna happen. He spends a lot of time praying and reflecting on scripture. Now, Marion had already memorized a lot of scripture and taught a lot of Bible studies, so he knew a lot of the Word. And as he began to reflect on the Word, he began to really talk to the Lord about what was going on in his life. And he had a, a eureka moment, a pivotal moment where he recognized something. He was reflecting on Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, where it talks about what prosperity is and the predicate for prosperity. The the text says the book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. That's referring to scripture. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Now, Marian wanted to be prosperous. He wanted to succeed. Now, maybe he didn't have the right agenda, but the Lord used this to convict him. As he looked looked at this text, he realized the predicate for this prosperity and success was meditating on the word day and night. Now, he knew at night that's what he did. Now He lived at a time before TV. So after dinner each evening, he either led a Bible study or he was preparing to lead a Bible study. So he studied scripture virtually every night before bed. So he knew he was doing it at night but he realized that during the day, I'm not meditating on the word. I'm not focused on the word. In fact, I'm running my business just like everybody else. So he came to this conviction of how wrong that was, how out of order that was. And so he repented. Now, interestingly, his pastor is nowhere in this conversation with him. His pastor thought he was doing great. It was Marion that came to the conviction that he was not doing great. He really faced the reality of the Greek dualism that was in him. That is the Greek dualism that was giving him permission to live like a secular person in the workplace, but live differently than in his personal life and his church life. That's the permission that we get from Greek dualism that separates spiritual and physical reality and exalts spiritual reality to the point that it has no place or no bearing upon physical reality. It separates them. The reality is God is a spirit being who's created everything. He's created the physical, and he wants to be the Lord of the physical, just he's Lord of the spiritual. And so when Marion saw that and realized the key to living well in the workplace was living based on the word of God, he realized that the Bible had to be the right handbook. Now, the problem was he was buying into the culture and to the way the culture thought, the way the world and everyone he knew, including the professing Christians who were in business, they thought like the world. And basically, their view of how to gain knowledge and wisdom in the workplace, how to solve problems in the workplace, was through the process of rational empirical pragmatism. And I'm going to explain that in just a minute, but to kind of set this up, you need to understand that rational empirical pragmatism is ultimately rooted in atheism. It is an outshoot of atheism. And when you realize that theology is the foundation for everything in life, and it drives the philosophy of life, which is the way we think about life, it drives the value system, the things that are important to us in life. It drives the principles, the way that we express values. It drives the practices, the things we actually do, and that drives the results in life. This is the way the universe that God has made works. Theology drives everything. So if you are a Christian theist, truly, that drives everything in your life, not just your personal life not just your church life. It's got to drive your workplace life as well. Now, as I mentioned, the common view of how to solve problems today is not to begin by looking at the word of God. It's to think and look at our experiences and be very pragmatic. That's called rational empirical pragmatism because that is the way people function today they think the world is so complex we can't there's no one source for all the wisdom we need we have to be good thinkers we have to really learn from experience and we have to be very pragmatic so that's that's common this is the way things work so let me just show you this this model here for rational empirical pragmatism rational has to do with being logical being a thinker That is big, and you certainly want to think, okay? Secondly, being empirical now is all about your experiences. You know, learning from your experiences, drawing the right conclusions, and finally, pragmatic is what works. And generally, that means what is it that makes money? That's almost always the way we define pragmatism. This is worldly thinking. This is thinking like... Naturalist. naturalists. Naturalists believe there's nothing other than the natural world. There's no spiritual reality. There's no God. There's no, no reason to be focused on the Bible. The Bible is just a fairy tale. This is how the world views it. So they default to this kind of naturalistic uh, source for wisdom and knowledge, which is really no significant wisdom and knowledge at all. Now, biblical thinking, on the other hand, is all about recognizing we have a creator who created everything. And so we want to become very metaphysically aware, which is we think from his perspective. Metaphysical awareness is about, you know, gaining God's perspective on any situation. If you have a a pricing problem, what is God's perspective? You have a strategic problem, what is God's perspective? You have a customer problem, what is God's perspective? You have a vendor problem. What is God's perspective? You have an organizational problem of any sort. What is God's perspective? This is the way to properly live in a created universe where God is Lord of all. So success, true success, is alignment with God. And a great example of this could be seen in 2 Chronicles chapter 27, verse 6, it's become kind of one of my favorite verses. It's referring to King Jotham, a king of, of, the, of the southern uh, two southern kingdoms or two southern uh, uh, Israel, which uh, we call Judah. So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord is God. Now, to become mighty is to be strong, is to become very settled, very secure, very orderly, very excellent at whatever it is you're doing. And the way he did it is he ordered his ways, all of his practices reflected Christ. It reflected sound thinking theologically, and that then worked out through the organization in all of its practices and led to the results that he achieved. So this is, I think, the way to properly think biblically about how to prosper in God's universe. So that leads us to a very interesting view of the Bible and all of other, all the other works. The Bible is the book of books. It is the truth about God and his creation. It is the foundation for thinking about all of reality. And we have to start in every area from the Bible. Then every other book, to the degree that it has any value at all, is the degree that it helps me understand the book, the Bible. So when I was trained as a scientist, I didn't understand this, but if I had understood it properly, I would have viewed the Bible as the handbook for science. And I would then view it of all the textbooks that I had as opportunities to understand the Bible better by virtue of seeing what God revealed to various men through his creation. and, If I had put that together wisely, I would have gotten a more robust picture of God's creation and seen it with more clarity and more insight and more wisdom. Likewise, in running organizations, the Bible is the handbook for organizational behavior. I have to have an understanding of how the creator made organizations to function. All these other books that I may read, they may help me better understand the Bible, but the only value they bring is do they help me better understand the Bible? Because all books other than the Bible are partial through truth that men see mostly through common grace, or if they were written by Christians and have special grace, then they have some special grace in them. But basically the ones I have listed here in this uh, this, uh, this slide here as far as I know, all of these, these um, secondary books were written by people who didn't know the Lord. Now, Drucker may have come to Christ toward the end of his life, but the other men I am not aware know the Lord. So I'm treating them as secular men and saying that the best they can do is partial truth through common grace and help me understand something about better about the word of God. But the word of God is the seminal truth. It's the truth that comes through the special grace of Christ as revealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that, that, that you struggle with as you look at this and consider this is the reality that there are many people out there that are very wicked and evil and yet seem to have a lot of prosperity, a lot of success in the tangible. And there have been many examples of that in history. So it it, it begs a question. Uh, you know, c- you know, can the wicked really prosper? Can this really happen? And the answer, answer is given to us in Psalm 73, a very clear answer. And you can also find this answer in Psalm 37. It's interesting, the two different Psalms, 37 and 73. Uh, both will provide answers to this question. And that is, when you have financial success without the character that is congruent with God, then that success is temporal. In other words, it will not endure. And Psalm 73 tells us that in the end, those wicked people that seem to have success in the temporal will be under judgment. And so in other words, temporal success becomes just a setup for divine judgment. That's a hard one for us. It's one we don't like and one that's not very popular. But this is the reality of how God's universe works. God has set it up so that real success is connected to him. Real success comes from obedience to him. Real success comes from alignment with the word of God. Psalm 1 is a great example of this. Six verses, the very first psalm makes it very clear. Alignment with God as revealed in his word is what produces success both now and in eternity. Misalignment with God will never lead to lasting success. It may lead to so what looks like temporary success, but that success does not endure. It gets judged in time. So this is the picture that scripture paints for us. The only right handbook is the word of God. There is no other right handbook. And so until we can learn to live with that conviction and that commitment to the word of God, we will never live well. We will never live wisely. We will never live profoundly. The word of God should be our reference point for everything. The starting point for learning everything. It should be our handbook for everything. It doesn't matter what's going on in life. We should begin with what does God say to us through his word? first and foremost. Secondarily, are there people whom God has given some wisdom to that have written something about what God has revealed to them that might help us better understand scripture? And then I can find value in those secondary books. But the book of books, the Bible, the word of God is the primary source. It is the right handbook. So I've got a little exercise for us here. So let me just take you through this real quickly. I want you to rate yourself on a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 is very low and 10 is very high, based on whether or not you are complying with these principles or practices. Not whether you intellectually assent to them, but whether you're actually doing them. Look at what you're doing to determine what you really think. Remember, your actions reveal what you really think, We all can be hypocrites on some level and say we believe something when our actions reveal we really don't believe it. So what is it you're really doing? So I'm going to read these and um, ask you to score yourself on a scale of zero to 10. These are statements I believe are true, either principles or practices that align with the presupposition that the right handbook is the word of God. Okay, the first one is the most complete revelation of God is found in Scripture. Secondly, the revelation of God in creation is best understood through Scripture. That means science, any kind of empirical study is best understood first by beginning with Scripture and then looking at empirical results or looking at what God has revealed to other people. Third, all books are valuable to the degree that they help us better understand God's revelation. That is, that's the way I find a value in any book is does this help me understand the character and nature of God, the works of God better? Third or fourth, spiritual reality drives physical reality. We have a spirit being God who created everything, which means spiritual reality is the more fundamental reality And physical reality is a manifestation of underlying spiritual reality, which is why ultimately theology drives everything. Your personal theology, the theology of an organization, the theology of a culture, the theology of a family, whatever that theology is, it will manifest in physical reality. The root issue of every situation is always spiritual. It's another way to kind of say the same thing. You have to be able to see what spiritual reality is driving any particular result that you're looking at. Enduring prosperity in all of its nuances is the byproduct of alignment with God. The prosperity of the wicked is a setup for judgment. Rational empirical pragmatism has value when subordinated to scripture. In other words, I didn't spend much time on this, but rational empirical pragmatism is not totally wrong, but it's not the primary source of epistemology. It is a secondary source. The Bible is the primary source. Rational empirical pragmatism is a tool when submitted to the word of God can be helpful but it's not helpful independent of the word of God. Rational empirical pragmatism disconnected from scripture is deceptive. And finally, the right handbook for organizational management leadership is scripture. This is the right handbook for everything, including organizational leadership and management. So may the Lord give us all grace to learn to live with a very high view of scripture a very profound commitment to the word of God as his greatest revelation to us and therefore the greatest source of truth about who he is, why we are here and what it is he's called us to do in Jesus' name, amen.